Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. We're into the last month of what's been, let's face it, a really difficult year. And like everyone else, I am very hopeful that 2021 is going to bring better things than we've had to face through the past 11 months or so. I really miss racing and can't even imagine how awesome it's going to feel to get to travel for a start line again. Although we are seeing an appalling surge in cases and deaths from COVID that is likely to continue to worsen for at least another month or so, I am beginning to be hopeful that the vaccine candidates coming out soon, once they start to be administered, it's going to be the slow beginning of the end of this very slow motion nightmare. It's funny how your mindset can change and shift over time. I know my own motivation to train has been pretty steady, but like everyone else, it's waxed and waned without the certainty of an event on the horizon. When I started swimming again a few weeks ago, I was amazed, not at how hard it was and how foreign it felt, because I expected those things. The thing that amazed me was how for the first time since I stopped swimming all those months ago, I actually felt like a triathlete again. I've said on this podcast before that swimming isn't my favorite thing to do. I see it more like the activity that I have to undertake in order to get to my bike. But those seven months off made me realize how much swimming really is integral to my identity as a triathlete. I know, it sounds self-evident, but I guess I hadn't really considered it that much before. And since I didn't really mind the time off swim training, it was only once I got back to it that I realized how important it actually is to me. Anyways, all of this to say that I find myself for the first time in a while just a smidge hopeful. I'm not sure that we're going to see early season races like Oceanside here in North America, but by late June, and hopefully by beyond, if all goes well, maybe we'll be able finally to look at ourselves in the mirror and once again think of ourselves as triathletes. On the show today, Tim Crowley has joined me on this podcast before, way back on episode 14. Tim is a longtime triathlon coach and a real guru when it comes to strength training and especially how strength training should be integrated into triathlon training. Well, Tim has written an excellent book and published it on a novel new medium called CoachTube. CoachTube allows for a combination of written word and video clips, and the result is an excellent book that every triathlon coach and probably most triathletes should at least consider taking a look at. Tim joins me later to discuss the powerful triathlete. Before that, I have a medical question to answer. Rod reached out to me to ask a question about returning to exercise after being diagnosed with a deep venous thrombosis, or DVT. DVTs can be a pretty significant problem, and are especially concerned if they embolize to the lungs. For a long time, it wasn't known if exercise could actually promote these pulmonary embolisms. So Rod's question is an important one. I review the pathophysiology behind DVTs and the research to answer Rod's question, and that's coming up in just a minute. Before that, I want to take a moment again to remind you all of my Patreon program for listeners who enjoy the podcast and would like to get more out of it in return for providing some support. The page is live at patreon.com forward slash Podcast, and there are multiple levels of support, each with its own tier of thank you, from callouts on the show to bonus episodes and even live Q&A sessions. The first bonus episode is going to be out very soon, and more will be coming on a regular basis after that, so I hope that you'll consider signing on. I also wanted to mention an exciting opportunity that some of you might want to avail yourselves of if you're looking for a great way to get a good jump start on your training before 2021 hits. Lance Watson's Triathlon Club is free until the end of the year. 
If you sign on, you get a training plan written by Hall of Fame and Ironman Master Coach Lance Watson, an online community on Facebook and Strava, as well as direct access to coaches to answer all of your triathlon training questions. Best of all, you can join live, interactive, coach-led bike, run, and strength sessions every week via Zoom and Zwift. Check out LanceWatsonTriClub.com if you're interested, with no obligation between now and the end of the year. And I'll put that link in the show notes that can be found at the-drydock-podcast.captivate.fm. Again, that website for the show notes is the-drydock-podcast.captivate.fm. Human physiology is as complicated as it is, and believe me, it's ridiculously complicated, for one essential reason, to maintain the internal milieu in homeostasis. I know, that's a mouthful. Well, to put it more simply, all of our body's very complex processes are finely tuned in order to keep everything about our organism as unchanging as possible. Think about it. Body temperature, electrolyte concentrations, water levels, you name it. Everything is under very tight control by all manner of systems, and when any one of them goes out of alignment, the whole enterprise is very much in jeopardy. Well, one of the most vital of these systems is the clotting system in our blood. When the integrity of our blood vessels becomes violated, and that can be from external trauma or something like a stomach ulcer, we have a cascade of proteins that become sequentially activated, all in order to form a blood clot whose role is quite simply to stop the bleeding. The clotting cycle is continuously in a fine balance, though, because clots are being made all the time, and at the same time that they're being made, they're simultaneously also being dissolved away, because if not, they would propagate and gum up our blood vessels and cause a very different problem. So you can imagine how different kinds of illnesses can result when this balance gets out of sync. Too little clot formation, and you could have prolonged or even catastrophic bleeding. While if clotting is unabated, you can get blockage of arteries or veins, or in some cases, even worse. Now, all of this brings me to this episode's medical question. Rod wrote to me to ask about whether or not there are any general recommendations for athletes resuming training after being diagnosed with a deep venous thrombosis, or DVT. A DVT is an example of the clotting system gone awry, where a clot forms in the legs or pelvis and can break apart and send small pieces, or emboli, to the lungs. These pulmonary emboli can cause significant morbidity, or even death, so DVTs have to be managed pretty aggressively with anticoagulation, or medications that inhibit clotting, for at least three months, often for longer. Now, I've written in the past about how triathletes are actually at a slightly higher risk of forming clots in the veins of the legs after races, and the reasons for this are related to the same reasons for other causes of DVTs. Now, although he had nothing to do with the determination of the three factors that would come to be associated with his name, the German physician Rudolf Virchow did play a role in the determination of various elements of coagulation. And so the triad of factors necessary to develop DVT is forever linked to him. Virchow's triad is endothelial injury, or damage to the blood vessel walls, hypercoagulability, or a predisposition to forming clots, and stasis, or low blood flow. So think about after an Ironman race, and especially during a long flight home. 
A triathlete can have all three of these things and is definitely prone to DVT formation. The reason being during the race, all of the beating and pounding that the legs take can actually cause microscopic endothelial damage. On the flight home, it's not uncommon to be dehydrated, both from the race and also from flying itself, and so you end up with a little bit of hypercoagulability and also of low flow because you're sitting. And so the triad forms, and a triathlete can form a DVT, and it is not at all unheard of for uh, triathletes to form these kinds of clots in their legs, especially after long races, and especially when then having a long drive or a long flight home afterwards. Now, triathletes can also develop DVTs in other kinds of circumstances. So it's very important that whenever a DVT is identified, a search is undertaken to look for an underlying cause. Unfortunately, DVTs can often be the first clue of a cancer that has yet to be diagnosed. But there are other causes as well, such as genetic causes of hypercoagulability or previously undiagnosed lupus, just to name a couple. In sum, as was the case for Rod, based on his email, the DVT is unprovoked, and no good reason is found. In these cases, anticoagulation is begun and maintained for three months until such time as the clot is seen to have dissolved and the risk of pulmonary embolism is reduced to zero. Now, there are two main complications of DVTs, and one main complication of the treatment that have to be considered when pondering the nature of Rod's question about returning to training after being diagnosed with a DVT, assuming, of course, that there's no underlying illness that has to be dealt with first. Now, I already mentioned the first of those complications, that being pulmonary embolism. Before beginning training again, it's important to ensure that one has not already actually occurred, and to consider whether or not training could cause an embolism just by virtue of the intensity of exercise. In other words, could working out actually cause a clot in the legs to dislodge or break and then embolize to the lungs? A second complication of DVT is related to the obstruction of the vein by the clot itself. Normally, over time, the clot will canalize and eventually dissolve away, leaving the vein patent again. In some, though, the clot causes damage to the vein, and blood returned through the vessel becomes somewhat impaired for a longer term. The result is postphlebitic syndrome, a constellation of symptoms including swelling, discoloration, and often pain distal or further away from where the clot was. It's important to know if exercise can influence the likelihood of this complication before resuming training. And finally, there is the dreaded complication of the therapy for DVT, and that is bleeding. As I've said, the treatment for DVT is anticoagulation, or blood thinners. And while on these medications, patients are prone to bleeding, to the extent that even minor injuries can have catastrophic results. This obviously has important ramifications for a return to training. So let's look at each of these in turn. Now, fortunately, there's a fair amount of literature reflecting a wealth of research in this area. With respect to the risk of pulmonary embolism, for example, researchers have looked at all manner of exercise, from walking to strenuous running, and in no case has increased activity been seen to be associated with a higher risk of pulmonary embolism. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Patients with DVTs who remain sedentary are actually the ones who are far more likely to get PEs than are those who begin to exercise. Similar findings have been seen for postphlebitic syndrome. In this case, Patients who exercise are less likely to develop this chronic complication than those who do not. So again, another good reason to return to exercise soon after the diagnosis. Unfortunately, though, the same can't be said for bleeding risk. 
Clearly, biking and even running put a, pa- put a patient who's on anticoagulation at much higher risk of a fall and subsequent important bleeding than not doing those activities. But that's not to say that a patient with a DVT shouldn't run or bike, only that they should make modifications to how and where they do so. For example, it makes sense that all biking really should be on a trainer and not outside where the risk of a fall is much higher. Running should be on flat ground, and probably not on trails, and generally only when lighting is good, so as to avoid tripping over obstacles or unseen changes in terrain. Now, clearly, given the risks, anyone with a DVT should speak with their own doctor before resuming their training to be sure that their own circumstances are not somehow unique and might preclude a safe resumption of exercise. But for most, resuming training is going to be safe so long as precautions are taken to mitigate the risks of trauma and an associated bleed. Now, bearing in mind that a pulmonary embolism could still happen, even for somebody who's taking anticoagulation, anyone who has a DVT should be alert to any signs of chest pain or shortness of breath or to new exercise intolerance and seek medical evaluation right away if those symptoms develop. And these symptoms are important, as you're going to hear in an upcoming interview that uh, is going to be on a future episode from an athlete who experienced them and found out that he actually had pulmonary emboli for reasons that have yet to be determined. Well, do you have a question that you'd like me to consider answering on the podcast? Well, send it to me. You can reach me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. My guest today may be familiar to longtime listeners of the podcast because he joined me back in episode 14 to discuss the importance of strength training. Tim Crowley has been coaching triathletes since 1993. He's been a pro and elite age grouper for over 30 years. Tim is the head strength and conditioning coach at Montverde Academy in Central Florida and is the owner of TC2 Coaching and Consulting, LLC. He was a 2008 Olympic triathlon coach. He's coached athletes to world championships, Ironman championships, ITU Worlds triathlon series gold, duathlon world championships, and numerous national championships at the elite level. As the head strength and conditioning coach at Montverde Academy, Tim is responsible for the training and conditioning for all varsity and academy teams. In his first eight years, MVA teams have won 14 national championships. He's coached athletes who are now playing in the NBA, Major League Soccer, and European Professional Soccer. This includes three top three NBA overall draft picks, the NBA Rookie of the Year, MLS Rookie of the Year, and three-time Naismith Top High School Player of the Year awards. Tim is also a frequent speaker at national conferences and clinics. His articles have appeared in all major triathlon publications, and he recently published The Powerful Triathlete, Strategies to Reduce Injuries and Enhance Performance. And it's for that reason that I've invited him back to the TriDoc podcast to discuss this excellent publication. Welcome back to the podcast, Tim. Thanks. Uh, that, that, that intro made me tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, it's really a pleasure to have you back. Uh, I, um, when I found out about the book, I was eager to read it. Uh, having worked with you for many, many years, uh, being my own coach, uh, I was uh, really intrigued and interested to see what your uh, look at strength training was going to be, especially for the endurance athlete. So could we begin just with first, why did you undertake the effort to write this book? Well, it's been a project, a project of mine for, you know, I'd say almost, almost 20 years. I was thinking about this the other day and I pulled out a book and, you know, when I first started, you know, coaching triathlon, I was working with Carmichael training systems and, and a book that came out in 2001, 
I actually had a chapter in that book on on functional strength training for triathletes. So this is something I've been promoting for, you know, over 25 years. And it was important to me for all the stuff that I've learned and all the stuff that I'm you know, doing with my athletes to try to put it all into one place and really try to create a, a working manual for, you know, for athletes, for the self-coached athletes, you know, and for coaches. Um, so it was more of a personal project and, you know, if, if nothing else for my own athletes as a, as a guideline or manual to work from. And, you know, if other people can find benefit from it, then, you know, that's great. And the, the timing you know, over this past, you know, eight months was perfect. I mean, I wrote the draft, first draft last summer. And then once in May, when our, our school, you know, went on hiatus, you know, for the summer off, I knew I'd have a six month block and it was, it's go time and to get this all done. And the funny thing was, I was able to do it with nothing more than my laptop, some earbuds and my home gym. And, you know, I made a conscious decision not to make like a studio type thing because I really wanted to show what we, what I actually do. I think for me, it's important as a strength coach and triathlon coach to be transparent and show people the real stuff and not, you know, theory. And everything here is based on actually what I do day in and day out. And I guess I'm at a point now where, you know, I've had success both on the triathlon side and other sports side that, you know, people can look at and say, I agree or disagree. But at the end of the day, we've seen results with this. And, and it was really, a, you know, an ability to to share this with people. And, you know, um, I, I think when we start to get older as coaches, the beginning, we're coaching and trying to keep everything to ourselves. And I think it's very natural, you know, as we get older, as we continue coaching to want to do more collaborative work and share with people what you're what you're doing. And so it was just a, a project I've always had. And um, it was important for me to try to put it all down in one place. I'm sure I'm going to go look back and go. Uh, I wish I did this better, that better. But the nice thing is with the platform that I'm using, I can go back in and change and edit stuff. Yeah, and I want to talk about that platform because uh, for people who are listening, uh, you may have heard Tim refer to how he you know, had a look and didn't want to use a studio. This is not a traditional book. It's not something you can go to the bookstore. It's actually something online and combines both written and video. And uh, I thought that was it's the first time I've really come across a, a, a book, if you will, uh, in this format. And I thought it would, you know, it was perfect. It was a perfect part format that lends itself to exactly what you were doing. How did you come across that? And how did you make the decision to, to use this specific format for this project? Well, like most things have happened in my life by accident. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, but, but I'm, I like to think I'm smart enough to make, be aware of these things. So I had, I had ordered a book, um, from a, a strength and conditioning book, and then it led me to coach tube. And when I saw this as like, this is it, because I had struggled. The reason, you know, I had ideas and, and have notebooks on the outline for a book. Really, I, I probably like 10 or 15 years ago, I created the initial outline. Um, but I, I couldn't find the medium to do it that I thought was right. And the problem with strength training stuff is that you need to show movement. And so a, a traditional book, and I'm like, well, if I do an Amazon book, I can publish it and I can do self-publishing and I might sell more copies, but that really wasn't my purpose. My purpose was how do we do it well and do it justice? And this was the perfect medium because you could talk about stuff and then show it um, and not just have like a, a digital picture or bullet points. I didn't think that was good. And, um, and because I, I'm coaching every day, hands-on coaching in a weight room, this actually by doing the videos, I think it's like 90 minutes of total videos. And I think there's 40, if I'm correct, there's like 45 different clips. But basically that part was actually easy for me because this is what I do every day. You know, using coaching points, one or two points to get a point across, I can explain stuff better verbally and showing it than I would by just writing and someone having to follow it. And that's why it becomes a good manual, because if someone's looking for exercises or, you know, lower body stuff, they can just go back to that. The, the text part kind of gives the overview of the why. 
And then the videos actually show and can give some coaching points of, of showing movement, which I thought was really important. Who would you sort of say that uh, the book is for? Everybody. <laughs> um, but really, I, I think what I wanted to do was design something that the experienced athlete could get a lot out of because it might be stuff they hadn't seen. I mean, too often people are doing traditional stuff, you know, like the difference between like, well, I'll do a leg press versus a single leg strength, a single leg squat type exercise. Um, so I think it's good for, for the experienced athlete. I think it's very good for the beginner athlete because what I want to do is use this as a basic, um, be, I wouldn't say beginner, but, but you know, pe- person who's not real experienced, but I think even experienced coaches, you know, would do it because what I've found is that triathlon coaches don't have that expertise. And, a lot, you know, most will admit it that that's why they're like, yeah, it's important. It's not my, it's not my expertise. And then you've got strength coaches who don't understand endurance sports, both in terms of the time demands, the energy demands, you know, and I always laugh and say, Hey, I'm the non-football strength coach, but you know, truth be told, I actually did play collegiate football. I played soccer and I kicked field goals. So I am a football strength coach technically, but you know, it's a different realm. And so I, I just happen to live in both of those worlds equally. And so it just has been very natural for me and something I've really, you know, been promoting. So, um, it is the beginning stuff. And I had a hold back when I wrote this because I kept having all these, I, oh, I need to add this, I need to add this. So I actually have the outline for the advanced version already because everything I couldn't include here because I thought that that might be too advanced. I just put aside and tried to keep it fairly, what I would consider fairly basic and straightforward because it's too easy to get, you know, convoluted and complex. And I wanted the structure simple, but not overwhelming. And um, we talked a lot uh, when you were here with me on uh, episode 14 about, you know, why is strength so important for triathlon? But let's maybe just revisit that quickly uh, before we take the rest of the conversation and just go back and maybe highlight some of the two or three real kind of salient points about why you feel strength conditioning is so important for the triathlete. Well, I got four. You said two, but I'll give you four because okay. I already wrote them. I put them in my notes when I wrote it. But I think, you know, one is injuries. Uh, I think I think preventing, although I say we don't really prevent injuries, we can minimize injuries and reduce the incidence and severity. But, you know, a problem is when people sign up for races a year in advance and all of a sudden two months from the from the race, something happens. It's a, it's a dilemma. So I think keeping athletes, you know, training uninjured so they can train every day and consistently train, I think is hugely important. And that goes to longevity. Resiliency is another thing. You don't want fragile athletes. You know, anytime you get an athlete and they're progressing along and all of a sudden, you know, you add more volume or you add more intensity, all of a sudden they seem to break down. So I think strength training is hugely important in that area, as well as creating muscle balance because swimming, biking, and running uses certain muscles and patterns to the detriment of others. So creating that balance, I think, is, is important. And that goes to injuries, you know, and resiliency. Obviously, increasing performance, you know. And, and you know, I, I really thought that when everything went to power where, you know, we got power meters on the bike, you can get a power meter when you run, you can have a power meter when you swim in the, in the form of like a Vasa or something like that. But this is going to change. Everyone's going to understand it because a huge piece of power is force, force times speed. Um, so we need that if we're going to go faster and is probably the, you know, the best anti-aging, you know, as, as we, that we have is quality strength training. The problem is everyone tries to lump and they say strength training and they put this all into one category. It'd be like saying running, but running could be sprinting a hundred meters or running an ultra. They're all, there's so many different, you know, things in there. 
Well, it's one of the problems we have with strength training. Everyone kind of lumps it, lumps it all together. I really like uh, in the book, you know, a lot of strength coaches, a lot of strength training books refer to muscle groups or body areas, and you refer to this concept of buckets. Uh, give uh, the listeners a yeah. sense of uh, which, what, what the buckets idea is. Yeah. Contrary, I, I stole the idea. Okay. Um, one of my good friends, one of the best strength coaches, Mike Boyle, Mike Boyle talks about this, but the buckets are easy because if we have our basic movements, okay, and the way I would describe it is, you know, if we got pushing pulling, you know, squatting, hinging, all your basic, you know, and again, it's movement versus muscle. So when you say, when I say a bench press, people think, oh, chest, triceps. I think the bucket of pushing, and the reason I say bucket is, so if we look at swimming as a good example, um, our, our internal rotators are being used tremendously. So that bucket is already pretty full. If we now in our strength program do a, a lot of chest pressing and stuff, that bucket overflows. When the bucket overflows, you're going to get injured. So we need to create this balance. And so some buckets, so that our pulling bucket, like for upper back and stuff, needs to do more in our strength plan because the it, you know that's low. And our pushing bucket, our internal, which is why people get shoulder injuries and rotator cuff injuries, because one, you know, we're swimming freestyle, we're riding on aero bars, so that is already over full. And we need to we need to correct that. So the bucket became you know a good concept for me. I'm like, okay, people can understand that. So when we look at a program, we got to make sure we're filling each bucket pretty high, but not overflowing, and not we don't want it empty either. So how should an athlete or a coach use your book then? Uh, knowing this concept of the buckets, uh, are the exercises sort of divided up so that the, they're yes. assigned to different buckets and then yep. athletes or coaches can just sort of pick and choose so that they uh, target the different buckets? Correct. And that's how it's set up. So at the, what, again, what I like about CoachTube is you can put somewhat not only the video and the text, but at the back, I can put in workout programs. You know, I can upload, have uploaded, you know, I didn't want to put too, too many to make it confusing, but it put several like different levels and, and different progressions so people could get a feel as well as, you know, blank templates so they can, you know, put those buckets in there. Um, and so what, what it is, is we can fill those up and so people can pick and choose one depending on their skill level, but also depending on what they have. And that was one of the, the tricky parts of how do we write this? You don't want to say it's an all or nothing. Either you know how to do these or you have the equipment to do these. Or you don't. And they didn't want to do that. I want to say wherever people meet people where they're at, that they can get started. Because my feeling is if people start to do it at whatever level consistently and they see improvement, that's going to start to fuel them to continue doing it. And I don't want people doing it just during the winter months when they can't go outside. It's really a year-round process. And, and everything is based upon um, really two times a week, 30 to 40 minutes. And people may say, like, how can you do all that? That's what I've been doing for 25 years. It's what we do at school because we've got so many teams to train that, you know, kind of master that. And we can put prehab exercises, rotator cuff stuff in, the, in our building that into the warm up with mobility and then pairing exercises either in, in pairs like upper lower or upper lower core, which is really how it's generally designed. It doesn't mean it's the only way to do it, but it gives a framework that people can work from that is that is consistent because the reality of it is, if a workout is like an hour long, it's the first thing that's going to drop from people's programs. I mean, I'll be honest, I have my athletes of my own that this happens to. So I can't say like all my athletes are really great at this, but what I've learned is that if we can get two 30-minute workouts consistently 
in the course of week in, week out, we're going to see results over the long haul. And that, that really applies for the beginner athlete. And I learned this working with a lot of my elite pros. They're training four hours, five hours a day. They don't have the extra time or energy. And that 30 to 40 minute window seemed to be about the ideal that we could do intense work without doing either too much or having them fatigue too much. And, you know, you talked about, um, there's two things you talked about that I want to get to. Uh, the first thing is just this notion of like two times a week for 30 minutes. I mean, now, now we're heading into off season. Do you, do you sort of like increase that for off season? Do you make that three times a week or even more sometimes? Could. Yes, you could. You could. It, it really depends on what they're going to do. Uh, if someone's really excited and we can, when they have time, like they're not, they're in a cold climate and they're got less bike volume, they have the time. Yeah, we can bump that up. Yeah. But as long as it's sustainable. So it really depends on the person's motivation. Some people really like it and say, I want to do a little bit more. And other people are like, look, I just want to do the bare minimum to get the benefits. Yeah. Um, but you can do, you know, there's, four, you know, we could do splits. We could do two splits. But the idea is we're still never doing massive volume that will either be, you know, increased muscle mass, which we don't want. We want strength and power per pound of body weight. Um, but the bottom line is most triathletes, they're not going to get big. Yeah. If if they come from a if they're the rare person that they came from a football background, then we make sure we we tone down their instincts from football and and do it. But it's all designed about relatively low volume. Where you know what I look at is you know having you know we talk time I talk in the book time under tension. We're always looking to keep time under tension under about twenty five seconds, which is the total time for the exercise. Because once you get over that. There might be a propensity towards some hypertrophy, um, but we're trying to keep the quality low, you know, the quality high, but the volume low. And if someone's doing like you know three sets of an exercise twice a week, trust me, they're not going to get big. And then you talked about equipment. So what's kind of like minimum equipment that someone would yeah. need to have to be able to get going on a strength program at home? Because, you know, the reality is gyms are closed right now. Gyms are, quite frankly, probably not the safest place to be given yep. COVID. So what's the minimum that someone should have at home? Yeah, well, this, is, this, this was the other great opportunity for writing this is that that was really pushed me because I realized same thing. I, I think home gyms are here to stay. Um, the garage gym or basement gym, I think is the rise on this and this is staying there. And I think for triathletes, it's fantastic. They may still go to a commercial gym, but having something at home that they can do it, one, a lens to consistency, because you can do a run or a bike workout or trainer session, jump right off. You're already warmed up and the time it would take you to drive to the gym and back, you're done. So convenience is key. Um, but what I did is it's designed I have like in the book, we have like three levels. The first level I have is very simple stuff that doesn't require, and that's kind of entry level. And the best thing is like, uh, you know, you obviously body weight, you know, body weight type exercises, but some sort of a suspension system, like a TRX type thing that you could put in a door and probably a medium and heavy and they're kind of relative depending you know, on, the, on the athlete, but um, kettlebells. Because a, a suspension system is great for type of pulling stuff. It's not great for pushing stuff as well, but kettlebells are great for pushing. And so between those two, what I like to is selected those two is what one, they take absolutely no space. You don't have to dedicate any space in your home. Um, and you can do some very effective workouts and you can progress that for quite a while for, you know, indefinitely. I like to have, you know, and, and I would probably say stretch cords would be the second thing that would go because now we can do swim specific work, shoulder work. And I, I like to have all my athletes have these minimums. So if they can't get to the gym, they can still do something to keep the habit and keep consistent. Level two would be adding a bit more to be kind of like jump stretch bands with like these big elastic bands that you can hook on a pole. And now we can, we can pull, we can push. It becomes like a pulley system. And then I like slides. 
that's either a little mini slide board or you know the um, they they make commercial slides, but but honestly, you can go to Home Depot and get these for like about two bucks at Furniture Movers, yeah. which I use a lot. Yeah. Um, but now you can do all your slide stuff. If you have those, honestly, you can do a ton. We actually use those things. We put them in a backpack for a basketball team that travels nationally, and we can turn any hotel gym into a high performance. Yeah. Um, and then you get the third level, which is basically either the really well-fitted home gym that might have a barbell, squat racks, dumbbells, kettlebells, and all the other stuff that we just mentioned, or a commercial gym. And so I kind of put into three different levels in meeting people where they're at because the thing is if someone says this is good, that's great. If they get into it, which a lot of them do, like, okay, what's the one thing? And that's what I look at. And I always ask my athletes this time of the year, what's the one thing you can get? That's going to take your 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 you know your your home gym to the next level, and they just slowly over time just start to build that out. That's really good to know because I think that uh, you know this people always look at triathlon as being a significant a significant uh, you know price point to get into, and yeah. uh, you know just uh, knowing that you don't need to have a huge amount of uh, equipment just to get started with this, I think uh, is going to be really helpful. I mean, uh, you can find kettlebell uh, you can find kettlebell sets on the internet, yes. and they're really not hugely expensive. Uh, no. I mean, it depends on, on what you want and how many you want. I mean, uh, but you could generally find like sets of three. I mean, you're going to spend under $100 to get like three kettlebells, which is right. very reasonable. And then stretch cords aren't expensive at all. So no, stretch, it, I mean, know. you can make stretch. I mean, what I like, and this is what I love. I love the stuff that is like real low, you know, cost effective. I'd say my favorite fitness store is Home Depot. Um, you can get, you know, you can get sir tubing at Home Depot for ten dollars to get a ten foot length. You cut it, you know, and you got your, you got your, your homemade cords. stretch boards. Yeah. I actually, I think it's coming out. The, uh, it's coming out another week or so. But I just did an article for Training Peaks, which was uh, three ways to progress your body weight exercises, which was a vest, or you can use a weighted bat. You know, just take a backpack and put sandbags in it. And sandbags. So sandbags are another really good one, but you can even make that out of an old duffel bag. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these things are very low cost. Depends on how high tech. But if you're like, I don't know if I'm really going to use it that much, then just make your own thing and play with it. If you realize this is important, then upgrade to something that's a little bit more durable and more professional. Yeah. If it works, don't uh, don't spend all the money. It's not worth it. It's uh, you no. can get by without spending a lot. Uh, let's just finish up with maybe just uh, an example of one of the routines that you kind of suggest uh, for a triathlete. So that people have a sense in their mind of what we're talking about when you say, you know, not lifting huge amounts, uh, something that could be done in 30 minutes or so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have the top of my head real simple. I mean, what we like to do is the warm up stuff. I always like doing a little bit of rolling and, you know, whether it's a foam roller using a golf ball on the, on the bottom of the feet for the plantar fascia, you know, a tennis ball or lacrosse ball for the hip. So, you know, a couple of minutes, so a 30 minute program might be spending two, you know, two or three minutes of rolling just to kind of loosen everything up. Um, they can go into more then dy- more dynamic warmups, and they could be moving in a, you know in a line or in stationary knee hugs, um, you know ankle cradles, just these dynamic movement stuff. So we're increasing the body, but we're increasing our body temperature, warming up at the same time that we're working on flexibility and mobility. Um, I'm also a big fan of doing all this upper body warm up with with bands. And so just shoulder stuff. I mean, I use the stuff of crossover symmetry type workouts, which is all rotator cuff stuff. And it's really like eight or 10 reps for like eight exercises. But by the time you get done, you're sweating, your shoulders are warmed up. Now we're prepared to do some quality work. And then when we get into the strength stuff, I typically will use three pairs. So, okay, two, two exercises of three groupings or 
two groupings of three. And so if we do that, it might be, it's always going to be upper, lower, and core. And so we're going to do our upper, if we do, you know, upper, lower, core for group A, that might be a push, a single leg squat, and a core exercise. And the core exercises, we never do like sit-up type stuff. It's usually going to be rotational, anti-rotational stuff or stuff that's really going to engage the core. We want full body. You know, if I'll say, if an exercise has three or four benefits, I'm using it. I don't want, you know, there's never isolation type stuff. Um, these could be heavier exercises. They could be like single leg squatting. And I really like single leg squatting. Um, and we got a lot of variations in, in the book on that. And again, I just, I just finishing a piece now for training peaks on that topic is because we're not loading the spine a lot. You know, we go a heavy, you know, squatting. I'm not a fan of back squats for endurance athletes. Front squats can be okay. We're in a better posture, but I'm worried about backs and knees and the things that are already being stressed by the triathlon training. Single leg stuff is how we move on the bike. And when we're running, we're doing single, really single leg work. And so we're also, you know, it's only like we do a single, if I do a single leg squat with just my body weight, I'm still using 85% of my body weight. So there's a significant resistance there. I don't need to add a lot more extra weight, maybe 20 pound dumbbells. That's significant. Um, and so we've got, you know, pushing stuff. I don't do a lot of bench pressing. I like dumbbells, bands, because again, I'm always worried about shoulder stuff. You know, it always, it always looks good until someone gets an injury. So we want, you know, we want our strength work to help reduce injuries, not cause them. Um, so we will have our, our a, you know, a push, a, like a chest exercise, a single leg squat, and some sort of a core, you know, other ab wheel rollout, anti-rotation, lift, chop, some more dynamic uh, type exercise. Second grouping of three would be some sort of a pull. You know, I'm a huge fan of like, you know, that's what I love TRXs for is inverted, you know, for rows because one, our hands move freely. So we're not locked into a position. Uh, so some sort of a row could be a double arm row, could be a single arm row, some sort of hinging. And hinging is hugely important because most people don't move from the hip, which is why their back have back issues. So learning how to hinge, that could be some sort of a, you know, mod, like a Romanian deadlift, a modified deadlift, a single leg deadlift, or it could be something on the floor, some sort of single leg hip lift off the floor. And again, another core exercise. If they do that, that's going to take 30 minutes max. I mean, it's not. And now, person has a little bit of extra time, we can add it. And we're not rushing through it. And by, by pairing stuff, we're also getting the recovery. I don't want athletes sitting around and waiting. At the same time, if I'm doing those three, an upper, a lower, and a core, by the time I come back to my upper body press again, I've probably had a minute and a half or two minute rest. So I'm ready to do another quality set. So it's continuous movement, but we're building in our recovery within it. And we're getting our quality stuff and we're in and we're out. And, um, you know, if athletes are, are, you know, if they're going to a gym, they can often do this before or after a swim workout. If that's where they swim, they could do a treadmill session plus their, their, you know, their lift. So the idea is to group these things together as much as we can. So it becomes more efficient and it's less likely to be dropped off when things get busy. You could have, you could have named the book, the powerful triathlete time efficient strategies to reduce injuries and enhance performance, yeah, but maybe time, that would have been too time, long. <laughs> time crunch is, time crunch has been used a lot. Yeah. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to overuse that. But I wanted to open it up because there's stuff like micro microdosing and, and and stuff like that, which is doing a small amount every day. So there's a lot of me, but those are, that's coming in the advanced version, which I'm working on. But that's where all the I'm excited for that because that's where the fun stuff really is, is really, and that will merge into not just strength training, but and it will kind of merge this continuum into, you know, swimming, biking, and running. Because I think what happens, people tend to lump it separately. But if you look at a continuum, you've got strength training on one end race performance on the other end. And that strength goes into power, that power goes into muscular endurance and the swim, bike, and run. That goes into sustainable power, which goes into your race performance. Excellent. And so 
it's really important people think of this whole continuum there because they just think of like, oh, strength training is different than, than you know, running, swimming, and biking. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I look forward to seeing that. Well, uh, Tim, uh, once again, the title of the book is The Powerful Triathlete, Strategies to Reduce Injuries and Enhance Performance. I will have the link to that in the show notes. I highly recommend it. I think it's a, an excellent reference. Tim, thank you uh, once again for joining me on the TriDoc podcast. I look forward to uh, continued friendship and collaboration. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. And that's it for another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. You can find archives of all of the shows as well as a handy collections feature where I have grouped the shows by category at the-tridoc-podcast.captivate.fm. And that is, of course, also where you'll find the show notes, including all of the links of everything discussed on today's show. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Well, send me an email at tri underscore doz at icloud.com. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit try.coaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDoc Podcast Facebook page, TriDoc Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDoc Coaching YouTube channel. You can also find a lot more information about LifeSport Coaching, the coaching group that I now belong to, at LifeSportCoaching.com. And again, all of those links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another interview with someone from the world of multisport and another medical question for me to answer. Until then... Train hard, train healthy.